Welcome back to Finest Hours, where we explore amazing true stories of human achievement and influence. I'm Braden Cromar, joined by my co-host, Hayden Hansen, and our executive producer, Skylar Williams. Howdy, y'all. Hey, guys. What's up? How you been? Welcome back. It's been two weeks since we did our last episode, per our usual schedule. <laughs> Personally. <laughs> schedule. Um, anything else we want to say in our intro, guy? <laughs> <laughs> Because I didn't think of anything. (laughs) That's okay. All right. The subject of today's story is a man who certainly had a lot of influence, but a man whose story is relatively unknown. Today we're talking about Robert Smalls, the slave who hijacked a Confederate warship, sailed to freedom, and fought valiantly as a soldier and a politician to bring freedom and equality to all African Americans. What a man. What a guy. What was his name? Robert Smalls. That's a great name. So Robert Smalls was born April 5th, 1839 in Beaufort, South Carolina. It's actually Beaufort, South Carolina. No, There's it's, a, I no, thought it's, it's Beaufort. It's, it's Beaufort, South Carolina and Beaufort, it's Beaufort, Carolina, which they're named after the same guy, but they pronounce them differently because it's the South and that's what you do. Well, they're all pronouncing it wrong. It's technically Beaufort. Beaufort. That Beaufort. wasn't bad. Anything happened. <laughs> <laughs> Beaufort. Should I say Beaufort, South Carolina? Yes, sir. Oh, dude, you've been to the South. Not really, but kind of. Kind of. Robert Smalls was born April 5th, 1839 in a small town, or maybe a large town. I didn't read too much about how big the town was, but it's Beaufort, South Carolina. Um, it was a small town. <laughs> his mother was Lydia Pilot, who was a 43-year-old slave to Henry McKee. It's unknown of who Robert's father actually is, but there is a lot of speculation that Henry was his father. Robert was treated nicely and lived with his mother in a small cabin behind the house because once again that speculation that henry was his father so he treated him a little bit better than the the other slaves robert would play with henry's white kids and he had a lot of white friends and something that they liked to do was when there was a steamship that would pass by they'd run after it and they'd start whistling at it and that kind of started his love of boats and of the water. And we'll kind of get more into that later in the story. But due to the nice treatment, Robert's mother became very nervous that he wasn't going to understand <clears throat> what it truly meant to be a slave in the South. And so what she had him do was go and actually work out into the fields and even have him witness beatings and whippings. Yeah, she wanted him to... Be aware of the treatment of blacks across the southern United States. So Smalls was a favorite slave, and he got into trouble kind of a lot. He had lots of uh, run-ins with the law for, you know, being a rambunctious kid. And his uh, slave owner decided, you know what? 
you should maybe go to Charleston and, and we'll get you working in Charleston and you can experience some, uh, some new trade and learn some new skills instead of working here on the fields. Cause his mother pled with McKee to spare him from having to work in the harshness of the fields. So Smalls went to Charleston to work in the hiring system, which was pretty common in the South at the time. And that would allow slave owners to essentially rent out their slaves to people that had work to be done when they didn't necessarily have work that needed to be done on the plantations. So he worked on the docks in Charleston and he said that this experience was very valuable to him because he was able to learn a lot more than he would have been able to do in the small town of Beaufort. He was making $15 a month with his salary and all that money was going to his slave owner. And he negotiated with his slave owner, Henry McKee, to keep $1 of his $15 a month salary. And he would take very that. Very generous. Very generous, you know. That one, <laughs> Lots of work. You get to keep $1. Yeah, yeah. $1 a month. These numbers and I'm just thinking, man, inflation is crazy. <laughs> Let's do an inflation calculation. You rhymed that on purpose. <laughs> I actually didn't, so that was pretty good. What's 1839 plus 17? 56. <laughs> so he kept $1 a month, and that was... Why are you taking so long? Math is hard, even for the internet. <laughs> it's not even working. It's, it's a government website. It's $25. So... <laughs> $25 a month. We made about $25 a month if we inflate it to 2019. Shoot. And he took this money and he would buy chocolate and tobacco and he would go out to the docks and sell it on the docks and keep the profit. When he was 17 years old, he married his wife, Hannah, and shortly after that had a child and he used the money that he saved from selling chocolate and tobacco to buy his wife and child's freedom, which was something that was really uncommon at the time, but um, you know it became progressively more common as uh, the years went on was an enslaved person buying another enslaved person because this was the South and slaves were property and therefore they were available for sale. So we could even kind of back this up a little bit um, before Robert even started to work on the docks. He did a lot of different jobs. One of those was a street lighter. And so he would walk around the streets and light up the lamps or unlight the lamps as night would come and as, as day would come. Actually doesn't sound like a bad gig. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like a good job, huh? It doesn't sound too bad. A lot of walking, but like, that's kind of cool. Yeah. So he did that, and then how he met his wife, Hannah, was he actually started to work in a hotel, and that's where she was working. He worked a lot of different jobs in Charleston, but he was mostly working on the waterfront, working on the docks. And later, he began work as a sailor and began learning how to operate ships, how to sail ships, and began work as a wheelman as he got more experienced, which actually holds the same responsibilities as the ship's pilot, but during this time, blacks were not able to be pilots. Pilot or captain? In everything that I read, they've used the word pilot. Interesting. Okay, which, I had to check. Which pilot, the, pilot is a step down from captain. Which is actually the man navigating the ship, and the captain may not necessarily be the one 
uh, navigating the ship. He's just given out orders. Okay. So African-Americans couldn't be pilots, which probably means they could not be captains either. That is correct. Hayden. Yes. Look at all that logic connecting dots. (laughs) That is very true. Hayden. Okay. So pilots are not captains and captains are not pilots. And the reason behind that is because they didn't want to give them the pay or the recognition that a white man would receive if he was the pilot or the captain. Precisely. Interesting, interesting. Well, while he was working as a sailor, civil war was breaking out. So a man by the name of Abraham Lincoln. (gasps) Right? right? (laughs) I I think so. He was something important or something. You did pronounce that correctly. Yes. Excellent. Great. So he put a blockade along the southern coast. So the blockade was a part of a plan called the Anaconda Plan. So they were going to squeeze the south into submission, essentially. The Anaconda Plan was proposed by his Secretary of State at the time. And the head of the Navy, I don't remember the man's name, but the head of the Navy suggested that they don't actually call it a blockade. The blockade at that time was considered like an act of war. And he wanted to use like a de facto blockade. So do all the things of the blockade, but don't declare a blockade. Because if you do that, then the South is going to receive, you know, pity and might be able to uh, receive allies because they will be able to declare war. And so he didn't want to do that. But Abraham Lincoln sided with his secretary of state and they declared a blockade. And so the Anaconda plan went into effect. It eventually reached up, the blockade did, up to Virginia. And so it started a little bit lower and then reached higher. The point was to squeeze them economically. It was an attempt to avoid allowing the South to receive weapons. The South was a lot of agriculture, a lot of plantations, and that's how they earned their money. And then they could trade with that. And the North was all about manufacturing, so they could build their own guns and their weapons, and that wasn't a problem. But the South had to get those weapons, ammunition, all of that from somewhere else. And so they really wanted to prevent them from getting those weapons and becoming better in the war. So if, if we are loyal listeners listen to our first episode they would know the difference (laughs) (laughs) they would know the difference between a blockade and a siege yeah this is not a siege are there any instances (laughs) in the civil war of a siege i'm not i'm not terribly familiar with um civil war history if i'm being honest which i i do consider myself a history buff but i don't care much for it's not that buff just not not a civil war buff (laughs) Which is the buff you need <laughs> for this episode. Yes. For, yeah, for this episode. So with that blockade going on, the South decided that they were going to kind of set up four checkpoints in the Charleston Harbor because just right outside, they had all of these Union ships just chilling there, you know, making sure that they weren't getting supplies. And so they had a lot of checkpoints that they needed to go and due to Robert Smalls being on the ships working on the CSS planter, he got really familiar with the Harbor um, and familiar with what was going on at the checkpoints. Which can I just say the planter is such a bad name for a ship. (laughs) 
Wouldn't you agree? Isn't that just kind of a well, stupid name? It, it just no, because it's agricultural country. It just reminds me of planters' warts. The, the planter. I, think it's, I think it's not a cool. Like they should have done like a cooler name, like the what, like planter SS. fasciitis. <laughs> Gator storm. <laughs> gator storm. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think South Carolina has gators. I don't know. They're close enough to Florida. You could bring them up there. I don't know. But if, if no. you think about it, the planter wasn't actually a warship. It was like a steamboat. It was a transport vessel. Yes. And so... I, I misspoke in our intro. <laughs> it's all right. So, you know, you have these massive warships that go out to sea and they are fighting with the other union ships and then you have the planter that's just kind of going around um picking up supplies and and doing all that other stuff that a small steamboat would do in a harbor small steamboat not a warship would become a warship not that small of a steamboat it was it was large it was a large steamboat it was large in stature (laughs) so (laughs) so with the steamboat mostly staying around the harbor, the crew members or the white crew members, I believe there was only like three or four. This, this planter was mostly filled with slave workers. Anytime that they would dock, the white crew members would go out and they would leave Robert Smalls and all the other slaves to tend to the, the daily chores that you would need to do on the boat. And so there was a period in time where the white crew members went off. So the crew members would go on shore every night to go party on shore. And previously, Smalls and one of his crew members were joking about stealing the ship and... Commandeer. Commandeer the ship. What was that line you said earlier, Hayden? (laughs) We're not going to steal it. We're going to commandeer it. We're going to commandeer that one, that ship. My ship. (laughs) (laughs) borrow it (laughs) for all of you people that don't know that that's from pirates of the caribbean caribbean (laughs) just kidding whatever whatever (laughs) i still don't know beaufort Um, beaufort caribbean caribbean (laughs) potato tomato tomato (laughs) potato (laughs) all the good stuff so they joke about stealing the ship and then Robert Smalls asked, well, would anyone actually like to talk about this in earnest? So they begin planning taking the ship and sailing the ship north to freedom. Let's let's do point out that there was one slave on that ship that Robert didn't trust due to things that previously went down. And so he mm-hmm. got with all of the other crew members except for that one and they talked about selling the boat into freedom. So how would you like to be that guy? (laughs) Everybody else is like, wow, my life sucks. And he's like, Oh, like, I don't know if you guys talk about this. I might tell stitches get stitches. Ouch. That's what they say. (laughs) That is a thing. Skylar, talk to us about the night in question, May 13th, 1862. So May 13th, all the crew, White crew walks out. They go and party once again on the shore. And they leave all of the black crew members on board. The previous two weeks, they were actually going around. The planter was going around. And they were getting, I think they had like five or six 
cannons on the ship that they were transporting. They had and loaded a bunch of gunpowder um, and guns. And so this ship was loaded with heavy artillery. And so, like I said, the white crew member and the cap- the captain goes to shore. They kind of sit there and wait. They do their chores. And then two o'clock hits. And they're like, it's go time. Like, we need to do this if we're going to do this. They fire up the uh, steam engine. They go to a different dock and they pick up all of their families. And now you have to realize that if these people get caught, they are dead on the spot. There's no questioning. They're probably just going to get shot. Smalls and his wife were concerned. They thought that if they were to be captured by the Confederates, that they would surely be tortured and made an example of and killed. So they had lined the ship with dynamite. If they were to get captured, they would blow up the ship and everyone on board. So there were, I think, 17 African-Americans on board, including children. It's a contingency plan. My backup plans have backup plans. Once you start talking about mutiny and pirating your ship, uh, you probably have to make sure that you're acting well up until that point, which I think was kind of cool as they obviously played their part pretty well the whole way through in order to make it so that they were trusted enough to be left with the ship completely alone. And so they played their part really well to pull this thing off. And so they've picked up their family, they're heading out of the harbor, and they've got four forts that they have to pass. Each of those forts has a special whistle um, that you have to whistle to pass them. It is four checkpoints plus another checkpoint at Fort Sumter, so it is a total of five. Four forts, five checkpoints, good enough. So (laughs) (laughs) the first fort that they pass, no big deal. Um... Uh, Robert Smalls at this point is playing captain. He has observed everything that the captain does. He walks across the wheelhouse like the captain would do, does the whistles, the secret whistles that the boat makes. I, originally, when I read that, I thought that Robert Smalls was literally whistling. I was no. like, oh, that's pretty cool. No. So, wow, whistle. What a good whistler. <laughs> he knew the codes to pass through the checkpoints from his work as the wheelman. Yes, and one of these checkpoints, the second one, was called Fort Ripley, believe it or not. After they've passed that fort, (laughs) (laughs) they've got one more, and then they make it to Fort Sumter. So Fort Sumter (laughs) is a pretty big, uh, it's a pretty big name, and it's a large fort. It's the one at the mouth of the harbor, so it has to be the biggest, and the other slaves on board were saying that, okay, it's, you, you got to go wide of Fort Sumter. Like don't, don't, don't get too close. And he's like, well, it's a little late for that. We don't want to arouse suspicion. So he goes by and uh, gives the code on the whistle and receives the response that it's okay to pass by. So they're heading out and they are officially heading out of the bay at that point, out of the Harbor. But that's super super dangerous. Yeah. This is such a, like, we can't emphasize the uh, cojones that (laughs) Smalls must have had to have, to have gone along with this. Yeah. I mean, it was so incredibly daring of him. Because it was pretty bold about it. They didn't just zoom out of the Harbor. 
by the time they got to Fort Sumter, it was probably wide enough to where they could almost see on that ship. Yeah, it was, uh, dawn was breaking. And then as they passed through Fort Sumter and they veer into the direction of the Union blockade, the soldiers at Fort Sumter realize, okay, something's up. I think this ship has been stolen and they start opening fire on the planter. But by this point, they were out of range. But the danger did not end there. They're sailing towards the blockade and they've got a Confederate flag flying on the ship. And luckily for them, the Union does not open fire on the ship. So Smalls delivers the planter to the Union forces. His crew is granted $4,500. His share is $1,500 of that. He helps to convince Lincoln to allow black men to serve in the Union Army as well. So he's noted for that. Um, Yeah, so he delivers the ship to union forces and he's granted an audience with abraham lincoln he's like hey man i heard you could use a ship <laughs> got some guns on it some got some cannons. cannons oh sweet here's forty five hundred dollars great that's probably a lot of 15 money. how many months of work is that um well i well let's let's do our let's pull out our inflation calculator <laughs> 1862 one dollar Inflation calculation. It's 300 months of work. Not bad for a day's work. High risk, high reward. Hold on, hold on. Don't be afraid to gamble at all. What are you talking about? (laughs) We give financial advice, don't you know? None of us here are actually qualified to give financial advice. Neither is a snake oil salesman. Uh, and that brings us to our sponsorship of nobody <laughs> today's episode is brought to you by snake oil this thing all will cure all of your problems <laughs> even financial you just rub it on and then all of your stocks will go up <laughs> will slip away it also cures the common cold and impotence <laughs> what <laughs> Snake oil, it, it cures everything. Okay, uh, the inflation calculator on usinflationcalculator.org.com is not working. So, ladies and gentlemen, that's what your tax dollars are going to work for. <laughs> yeah, we're going to have to cut some of that. <laughs> I actually don't think I'm going to cut that. Smalls used the money that he received from Lincoln to buy his old master's house, which was for sale due to back taxes. <gasps> his previous slave owner, Henry McKee, had passed away and his wife was mentally ill. She had returned to the house thinking that she had still lived there. And Robert and Hannah Smalls, who were living in the house, welcomed her with open arms. And they even moved out of the master bedroom that they were staying in so that she could sleep in the same room that she'd always slept in. So do you think that that him being treated so well helped him do that? Or do you think he was just a nice guy? I don't know. And it's, it's hard to say he was really treated well because he was still a slave and he was still owned by a person, but he wasn't treated as poorly as the other slaves were, but clearly he had options. It probably helped, but he also was a really outstanding man. He was a really caring, outstanding man. And I, I certainly would not have been so obliging. Well, why not? 
I would say it's my house now. (laughs) (laughs) My house. (laughs) They cared for her until she passed away. Which is amazing. Why? Because Why is it amazing? Because we're talking about a former slave who the last time he was in the house was owned by the slave owner and then he returned and he owned the freaking house. (laughs) I guess that is pretty amazing. Well done. How the tides do turn. My, how the turntables. So, (laughs) my, how the turn. So Smalls had fought valiantly in the Civil War. Smalls fought in 17 battles in the Civil War. And after his career as a soldier, he returned to South Carolina. That's when he had purchased the house. And he wanted to go into politics because he was concerned about the well-being of the African-Americans living in the area. And this was during Reconstruction after the Civil War had ended. So Robert does a lot for the efforts of African-Americans and the black community, which he was a part of. And what kind of got him into the political mindset is he was visiting, I believe it was Baltimore. um, And he was riding a, like a taxi. um, And he was actually kicked out of it for another white man. And he did not like that. And so he set up protests and rallies and eventually in Baltimore, they, I think it was like a year later, they were like, oh, we're going to desegregate those taxis and black people and white people can both ride in them. Yeah, he, having served in politics during Reconstruction in the South had to be one of the hardest things to be asked of. As a black politician, he fought valiantly to preserve african-american rights and it was an uphill battle and a lot of times he was not successful but nevertheless he continued to fight for these rights of these african-americans and the as they say the wheels of justice grind slow but they grind exceedingly fine and it would take decades for african-americans to have the same rights as white people in america but you know in many ways we are still fighting that battle and we are still um, trying to live more as equals. One of the, the biggest legislation that he passed was the free education system. And so he believed that everybody had the right to be educated and he passed that legislation in South Carolina. And that was kind of the, the father or mother legislation to the public education system that we have today where everybody's able to go to school um, and learn. Do you know if he was educated when he was a child or not? No, he wasn't. The way he got educated was working in Charleston and on the Harbor. Okay. The reason I bring that up is because obviously he was a pretty well intellectual guy when it came down to, all right, we're going to figure out how to escape and playing your cards right and all of that. He was obviously very smart. Um, And I think having a political career like that, with how difficult it would be, like you'd mentioned, of, you know, being an African-American that's kind of leading the forefront of the Reconstruction policies, it would be, 
I would go to bed irritated every night and be so frustrated. And I would not handle that job well if I was in his shoes. And so I think that some of the qualities that you can see within that is somebody that's patient and understands the long game a lot better than I would have at least. Yeah. Well, and I find it really admirable that Robert Smalls was a guy who really got stuff done when he was in his service as a politician. And he served in several roles. He was in the South Carolina House of Representatives. He served in Congress a few times. I believe it was when he was serving in the House of Representatives that he was framed for taking a $5,000 bribe. So he was sent to prison for that, but he got out on bail and appealed and the democratic governor of South Carolina pardoned him. Smalls was the founder or one of the co-founders of the Republican party of South Carolina, which was, I find very interesting. His influence certainly spread well beyond that of just his political party. For sure. So he's in South Carolina where they just got out of war. They're upset. They're mad that now all their slaves are free. They don't have anybody to work in their fields. And so he has to deal with all these people as he's running for office. People are slandering him that $5,000 bribe actually haunted him for like three or four years. And every time he would run, it would be brought up and whoever he was running against would be like, you can't trust this man, even though he didn't do it even though he was probably doing more than any other, you know, representative was doing, trying to pass as much legislation as he could. So sorry to interrupt a $5,000 bribe. What did I miss something? You did. Hayden, you weren't paying attention to your own podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Great. So I don't know the details to it. Probably don't pay attention to us either. (laughs) Yeah, our listeners. What's that mumbling in the background? I keep hearing. I don't know, but our drivers are probably texting and driving, not paying attention to us because they're horrible people. (laughs) I don't. I don't think. I don't think our listeners are horrible people, but don't text and drive is the moral of today's story. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that's that's the moral of the Robert Smalls. You should learn from Robert Smalls. And that brings us to our next commercial of Don't Text and Drive. Zero Fatalities. Zero Fatalities, Zero fatalities brought to you by Bryn Cromar. <laughs> no. Not, I didn't bring... How many fatalities do you bring, Cromar? <laughs> <laughs> if it's not zero, what are you doing on the weekend? Good grief. Well, I'd be slaying the ladies on the weekend. <laughs> so, it's not zero. <laughs> oh, gosh. It, so, it, it is anyway, Hayden... Zero. There was a $5,000 bribe that supposedly Robert Smalls took. I don't know the exact, I don't know exactly what it was. 500 to 5,000 and call that a bribe. Yep. He took it. (laughs) (laughs) No, he was fine. He, he got his what? 1500 cash money. He, he bought a house. He actually bought a store that was right next to his house. So he was doing fine. He didn't need no bribe. Oh, nice. Yeah, he makes you feel lazy. <laughs> yeah. I'm, this I'm sure a lot of stuff. I'm sure he was getting paid as well as the Congress people nowadays too, so he was fine. <laughs> he, he, was, was 
he was constantly under threats from white supremacist groups, but he's like, dude, like you don't scare me. Like I stole a Confederate ship and sailed to freedom. <laughs> I fought for the American flag, which many of you trampled. While he was in Washington, D.C., Congress was trying to get a lot of the state militias to go down to the U.S. and Mexican border. But the biggest militia in South Carolina were called the Red Shirts, and they were a subgroup of the Ku Klux Klan. Oh, <clears throat> no, they were they were not British. <laughs> red, those red shirts. That's the Redcoats. <laughs> but anyway, so we've got these Red Shirts people that are basically part of the Ku Klux Klan. And Robert Smalls knows that these people are evil and sending them away would be very easy. But he was like, yo, if we send them down to the Mexican border, they're going to get every other person there and they're going to come back and we're going to have another war. And so instead of sending them down there, he kept them in his state and then they continued to torture him, torture other black people, all because he didn't want another war. Keep your friends close and your red shirts closer. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Did we forget our word of the day? We did. Yeah, we son of a... Word of, the... <laughs> word of the day is son of a... <laughs> Hayden, please explain what that means. Son of a S-U-N-U-V-A. <laughs> don't know what it means. Moss was challenged often in his political career. And he was famously quoted as saying, my race needs no special defense for the past history of them. And this country proves them to be the equal of any people anywhere. All they need is an equal chance in the battle of life. And I think largely we are still fighting that battle and we sure could use a Robert Smalls today. All right. Uh, I think that's going to do it. I wish we had some more humor to interject into this episode, but it is hard to simultaneously write humor and talk about uh, slavery and at the same time. But regardless, we do hope that you enjoyed this episode. We'll come back with you in a couple of weeks with a new episode. So Skylar, why don't you, why don't you close us out here? I hope y'all enjoyed this and I hope y'all give us a follow on our Instagram finest hours podcast and like and subscribe below actually i don't know if it's below or where it's at but i can subscribe and yeah subscribe to our podcast so you can so you can get all of our new podcasts when we release them we don't annoy you with a bunch of stuff folks we only do a couple of podcasts a month so and we'll be coming back at you soon with something new if you don't have social media send us an email finest hours pod at gmail.com especially if you want to sponsor us especially if you want to sponsor us. We're looking. But folks, we really do need your help. So we have a lot of reviews, but we don't have a lot of ratings. So get <laughs> over to Apple Podcasts because Spotify doesn't allow you to review podcasts. Get over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a nice review. And if you don't know what to say, just say, I listen to Finest Hours and you should too. And give us five stars. That's the most important thing. Yeah, I don't want to see your four-star ratings or your three-star ratings. I definitely don't want to see your two or one-star ratings. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us. We'll be back with you in a couple weeks with a new episode. Don't let the door hit you where the good Lord split you.